the Oklahoma City Thunder fall to the Houston Rockets. What went wrong in this game as Houston presents a problem for Oklahoma City? You are Locked On Thunder, your daily Oklahoma City Thunder podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Let's get it going on the Lockdown on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host, media member, editor-in-chief over at thunderousintentions.com. Ryland Styles, follow me on Twitter at Ryland underscore Styles. Follow the show on Twitter at LO Thunderpod. Email the show, LOThunderpod at gmail.com. On today's show, brought to you by our good friends over at FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with the winning of a $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins, but go visit fandle.com slash locked on to get started. Folks, the Thunder absolutely melted down in Houston, did not play well at all. And we're going to work through this together because this game, I think just means more to the Thunder fan base than any other game on the schedule. I think the truth is oftentimes in the middle. And right now, the reaction that you're going to see is majoritively negative and the sky is falling and this and just every negative aspect you can think of this team is what you're going to see portrayed a lot on social media right now. Or you're going to see the complete opposite of uh, just everything is sunshine and rainbows. And I think that there is a middle ground, which is where the truth will lie on this team. The truth is every team will have games like this where they just simply don't play well and they don't even begin to play well. I think that, you know, whenever you see a game that has one lead change, two ties and the Rockets went up 17 points, like that just feels worse. Even though it's a nine point loss, you know, it feels worse because of who it's against because the Thunder fan base understands their little intra-fan base rivalry with the Houston Rockets and the toxicity that comes with losing to the Rockets. And it's more so a reflection of that versus a reflection of how the team played. Because the Thunder were never going to win a game where they shot 42% from the floor, 27% from three, and a 70 and 79% at the charity strike. Like they, they just were not going to win a game that way. They could not hit threes. They could not score, period in this game for the most part. They were dominated on the glass, 53-30. to 30. They forced 19 turnovers and only turned the ball over eight times themselves, and still the discrepancy was this large. They won points in the paint, 50-46. to 46. They lost second-chance points, 19-5, to 5, and they lost fast-break points. And, and, you know, fast-break points is a big key. To lose fast-break points after forcing 19 turnovers, uh, you know, is, is egregious. But, of course, a lot of that has to do with, you know, the fact that you give up 53 rebounds. So uh, that doesn't help matters at all. And, and, you know, the only player who can can really say that they played exceptionally well is SGA. SGA dropped 33 points, uh, six assists, three rebounds. He had six steals, a block. Like, he was on fire shooting 
from the floor after a um, kind of quiet start in the first quarter. You know, Kaysen played well. Trey Mann played really well. You know, Kinrich played really well. But like, you know, Wiggins was awesome as well. But in the totality of, of the entire game, none of your main guys besides Shea played well at all. Some played worse than others. But this was just not the, the effort level that you would expect from the Thunder. This was not the effort effort level or the sense of, of focus that you'd expect from them. You know, Jalen Williams uh, was just talking at practice on Tuesday uh, or when, or Monday about, uh, you know, how they've been able to get off to such a great start on the road. And it's been getting off to great starts on the road and not falling behind. And they didn't do that in this game. They, they clearly did not do that in this game. And so I want to take this show and sort of let it serve as a therapy session for a fan base right now that is hurting, that is upset, that is frustrated. And we're going to take on all of your criticisms and analysis of the team. And we're going to, to kind of sift through them and work through them together. So we're going to do that for the length of this show. So this show is about you. And we're going to start with Drew. Thunder fans are already impatient and it's going to drive me crazy by the end of the year. Everyone expects this just instantly be a perfect team and never lose again. So like every loss to this point in the season has, um, you know, had a, a, a large portion of the fan base acting like it is a doomsday scenario. This is the first loss where I would say it's justified for the fan base to be upset. Now, it's not justified to go completely off the deep end, right, and say that this is a failed rebuild, the Thunder don't, don't want to win, that the Thunder aren't supporting Shea, the Thunder aren't doing this, aren't doing that. But this individualized game was a bad effort performance, was a bad offensive performance, and the majority of your roster played bad tonight. So being frustrated with that game is totally fine. It's the bigger picture stuff that is not great. We're going to get into that with, with some people who – who actually had some criticisms of the team, like Jay. Jay says, number one, Josh Giddy uh, has more shots than points this year, ranking as the worst player in efficiency in the league. It's time to move on. I'm going to use Jay as a springboard into all the Josh Giddy stuff. So we're going to talk about Josh Giddy, his lack of efficiency, should he be starting, and what to do with him moving forward. Let's work backwards from there. What to do with him moving forward is, I think, the most interesting question that the Thunder have to answer. Purely on the court. What do you do with Josh Giddy? purely on the court? Because he's playing awful basketball. He is the reason why there's no spacing in the starting lineup. He is being completely ignored on the offensive end and completely sought after on the defensive end because he can't provide defensive resistance. He's making everyone around him worse and not better right now in the starting lineup. What do you do? What do you do with Josh Giddy? Because here's the thing. I don't believe Josh Giddy just forgot how to play basketball. I, I don't believe Josh Giddy looked as good as he looked in FIBA. And now all of a sudden it like space jam his his powers are gone, but it's clear that something is off with Josh Giddy. It's clear that the NBA has figured out something about defending him or lack thereof uh, with Josh Giddy. And it's not even about just his overall three-point percentage because 
this is a multi-layer conversation, which actually they'll expand into the next segment as well. But like, let's just take this game in a vacuum. The, the Rockets were completely ignoring Josh Kitty. They put, they were able to put Shingun on him. And when that happens, you, you know, and they, and they try this on a couple of plays, but not enough. You've got to use Giddy as a screener and try to get Shingun switched on to literally anyone else than, than Josh Giddy and exploit him on the perimeter. And with Josh Giddy, for the, for 90% of this game, he was two for four from three. But yet for 100% of this game, he looked absolutely petrified to shoot the basketball. If you're not going to have the confidence to pull an open three-point shot when you're shooting two for four, it's tough to sell anyone on you being willing to shoot at any juncture you know, in this season. Because the bottom line is, Josh Giddy shooting two for four is some of the best start he's ever going to have as a shooter. Like, it's not a, it's not a news flash that Josh Giddy's not good at shooting, that Josh Giddy's not a good three point shooter. So if when you start a game two for four and you're still just too too you know whatever to shoot the ball, to you know in your head or whatever you want to say it is, or or uh, too passive to shoot the ball whenever you're wide open at the three point line after going two for four to start. It's not a great look. And then on top of the fact that, you know, he's a 6'8", 6'9", guard that isn't scoring at the rim. And so I think that this game kind of exemplified what we've been talking about in this show since this summer. The swing skill for Josh Giddy is going to be figuring out how he can score. Not shoot. Because even when he's shooting two for four, nobody cares. When the ball swings to him and he's two for four, Nobody's racing to go out and contest. They're not even faking it like they're going to go contest. And the bottom line is for Josh Giddy, even if at season's in, you look at his basketball reference page and he's shooting 35% or more from beyond the arc, which would be a good percentage, a really good percentage. It will not impact the way defenses are playing the Thunder because they'll give you that four times a night. They'll give you that five times a night. He's never going to shoot the three ball enough quantity wise that even if he did raise his percentages, he's never going to shoot the ball enough to make defenses change how they're defending him and how they're defending him is brutal for the rest of the team. How they're defending him negates everything else that everyone does. So the swing skill is going to be go force your way inside and score at the rim. And he has the frame to do it. He's just not doing it. And I don't really know what the answer is there or why he's missing at the rim or whatever. But the swing skill is not his three-point shot. Although it looks egregious, look at J-Will last year. I mean, J-Will spent the entire year last year shooting 40% from three. And he had multiple games where he just caught fire from beyond the arc. Defenses still weren't guarding him. Like, this is not a Josh Giddy exclusive problem, Right. Like, yeah, Jay will was shooting 40% from three last year, but th- that is a classic example of he wasn't shooting enough threes to warrant guarding him at a 40% clip. His 40% clip and Isaiah Joe's 40% clip were not created equally because Jay will shoots 40% on two to four threes a night. Isaiah Joe shoots 40% ch- jacking up seven to 10, and he can really just throw your, your game out of whack and blow a game out in a hurry because that's how good Isaiah Joe is. So that's where I, that's like a, a classic example tonight of why I say that like even if Josh is hitting threes, it's not changing the way the spacing looks. It's not changing the way the defenses play him.
because they're going to let you shoot four times and you're only making 35% of those, you know, like they, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. You can, you can recover from that at the end of the day, if you're a defense for the, for the benefit of how you're seeing the Mavericks and Rockets play him of putting a five on him and letting that five just kind of roam around and take away other things. Or in Shingun's case, you know, getting to kind of protect uh, one of your worst defenders on Josh Giddy. And then on the flip side, he's being hunted on and picked on defensively. So what do you do with Josh Giddy? Because you know, he's the sixth overall pick. You're, 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 the, the dramatized version of what the Thunder should do with Josh Giddy isn't true. The other version, you know, the other dramatized version of like Josh Giddy is perfectly fine and, and, and he's going to figure it out, you know, isn't guaranteed. But that leads us back to what do you do? Because you could say go down to the blue and maybe that would help his confidence just to see the ball go in, just to see that he can score through him. But I, I fully believe having watched a ton of G League games, you know, I watched every single blue game, uh, which is more than like 99% of people. I firmly believe that if he goes down to the G League, he's going to be able to score at the rim. Just seeing the rim protection at the G League and the way that the game is played, Josh Giddy will look really good in the G League. And and the benefit of that is maybe if it is a confidence issue, which I don't know if it is or not, I don't want to put that on him if it's not the issue. But if it is a confidence issue, that can really help things out for Josh Giddy. But it's not translatable, right, to the NBA. Like the, 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 There are two totally different leagues where it's hard to get that to translate to what you do in the NBA. And then... You mentioned the starting lineup and and the bench and everything else. I don't believe that starting lineups really matter uh, to the extent that a lot of people do. I believe that the closing laps are way more important. However, the more that you watch Josh Giddy and the more that you watch these teams adjust to defend the Thunder, we talked all summer long on this show about how are you going to defend the Thunder because they have so many uh, great options and it's kind of pick your poison and this, that, and the third you are taking away that advantage. You're taking away the ability to create, to, to create that pick your poison advantage whenever you're playing four on five offensively as a starting lineup. So for everyone's sake, for the starting lineup's sake, you know, and getting off to fast starts in these games, and even for Josh Giddy's sake, it might be beneficial to move him to the, to the bench unit. This has been a coach who, you know, for the first three years of his career has been willing and able and, and, you know, quick to change starting lineups. In 320 games, uh, the, you know, the lineup when healthy has not changed, which we expected it not to, uh, you know, this whole season. We expected this season to be a season where you play the same five guys uh, from start to finish. Could not have predicted this rough of a start for Josh Giddy, which is why moving him to the bench might, of course, well, it will for sure help the starters. And then I think with Josh Giddy, it will help him too, um, just playing with, with um, different players and against different players. and being able to feel more comfortable. I would, I would imagine it would feel more comfortable. Um, you know, this is of course projecting that if he's playing with the bench, you're not having to, to balance as much of who to get the ball to, who to get touches with. You can play him with lineups. If he's coming off the bench, you can play him with lineups where he has a clear cut role and a clear cut identity of what his job is. And I think that that's might be a little discounted, um, you know, kind of storyline here is like he had to change his role again for the third straight season. Um, Josh Giddy did where, you know, you're adding new players. You're, you're adding guys who need different touches and need touches in, a, in different spots to where it's, it, it makes his job a little bit harder. 
if you move him to the bench, you can give him that true identity. The same identity he was able to play with all summer long at FIBA where he played really well, right? Maybe Josh is just a, a, an identity-based player and he has to know and know and know his role. And if that's the case, moving him to the bench, while it, while it would appear like a demotion or whatever, would actually help him and help the team at the same time. So what to do with Josh Giddy is going to be a burning question for the rest of this season. But after 20 games, I'm no longer personally in the camp of hands off, just kind of let it go, let it, let it play out. I'm also not in the camp of like, he can never be good. He's only 20 years old. He's a six, he's six overall pick. And he played good basketball, you know, four months ago, but I'm also not in the camp of like, just don't do anything and roll the ball out there continuously. And there's going to be some sort of middle ground there. There's going to be some sort of, uh, of assignment for the Thunder to figure out what that middle ground is, but not a great game, not a great start to the season for Josh Giddy. And that's really um, on paper been what, what, what is the biggest flaw for this Thunder team. Now, you know, that, that adjustment could also not work, but I think that we're getting to a point where you just have to do something if you're Oklahoma City. And we'll see if, if, if they agree with that assessment or not. Coming up, we're going to talk more about your takeaways uh, from Josh Skiddy's game and the, and the Rockets game as a whole. But first, I want to say right now about our good friends over at FanDuel. Folks, Thunder.com slash locked on. Go there right now because the new customers get $150 in bonus bets if you win your $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins that $5 money line bet. You can also bet on spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. But that $5 money line bet for if your team wins, a money line bet is just who you think will win the game. So you can go there and bet, bet on the biggest favorite on the board. They win, you cash out, and away you go. It is a great time to go to FanDuel because, listen, I believe that FanDuel has everything you're going to need if you want to get into this space. They have the NFL. They have college football, which is into bowl season, and Army-Navy this weekend. They have NBA, which we all love, obviously, and NHL, college basketball, and then they have everything else you can imagine. Once baseball starts back, they have baseball, uh, they have soccer, tennis, esports, all that good stuff. You can go there right now and bet on this evening's in-season tournament games where the Pelicans are two-point uh, underdogs against the Lakers and the Pacers are two or five-point underdogs against the, uh, the Bucks. Pacers, I might sneaky take the Pacers in that one on FanDuel. So go there right now today at FanDuel.com slash LockedOn, FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. We're back on the Lockdown Thunder Podcast, on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your teams every day. Folks, I'm your host, Ryland Stiles. We are using this show as a therapy session for you. Jay continues with number two. Mark Dignall rotations are bad, especially tonight. I'm, I'm still not in that camp of like his rotations are bad. Look, the only different layer that 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 Mark did today was play Trey Mann. And he played Trey Mann over Dallas Bertans, Vasily Micic, Pokoshevsky, and Saar. Pokoshevsky and Saar are non-factors. Like, don't, don't even factor them in in this discussion. Then that leaves you with playing Trey Mann over Bertans and Micic, two guys who've, like, actually gotten some run this year. Saar got run whenever the team was was um, hurt, but... He's not gotten run since the team was has been healthy, and he, he stylistically would not have fit in this matchup anyway. So you go to Bertans and Micic. Bertans 
would have kind of offered you some, some of that spacing that you tried to get from Trey Mann only at a different position, number one, than, than who you were trying to replace. And number two, you know, for a team that was getting, you know, kind of destroyed inside, Bertans does not provide you much of anything on the, def- on the defensive end. He, pro- he provides you a ton of effort. He provides you a ton of engagement, and he tries his butt off defensively. He's just not very good defensively. And so the Rockets were obviously willing to go hunt matchups. Like you, 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 that, that tone was set at the beginning of the game. And what have I said about Davis Bertans? You can only play him in matchups where the other team is comfortable having a stationary shooter offensively, where you can just go plant him in the corner. That's all he's worried about is sticking with the stationary shooter and contesting and closing out. Whenever that's his role, he can succeed on the other end offensively. The Rockets were not playing basketball that way. The Rockets were clearly looking and seeking at any opportunity to get switches onto advantageous matchups. And there's no better matchup for the Rockets to switch onto than Dallas Bertans and Josh Giddy. And they were taking advantage of Josh Giddy defensively. And they would have done the same thing that Dallas Bertans. So that makes Dallas Bertans a non factor. And then Vasily Mitchic would be the other one that you, you might have wanted to see over Trey Mann. Trey Mann, in 24 minutes, played better basketball than Mitchic has all season long. So, like, sure, maybe you came into the game wanting to play Mitchich if you're a fan of, like, wanting the Thunder to play Mitchich. They played Trey Mann, and Trey Mann played better basketball. I know that the accolades Mitchich has. I know the potential that Mitchich has once he catches up the speed of the NBA game. Trey Mann outplayed everything that he's done to this point in the season. And Mitchich himself has talked about the pace uh, being a bit fast for, for him at the moment. So he's still getting adjusted to that. This was not a great matchup. For him either. And Trey Mann played great tonight. I mean, he, he, he was defending really well. Uh, he was fighting over screens, staying engaged, uh, being on this man's hip. He was peeling off properly and switching properly, which is an area where uh, he got lost a lot last year and like in, in years previous, of course, uh, whenever he was playing. So that improvement was, was dramatic for, for Trey Mann. He went two for four from three and just you know, the sure, the sheer kind of, uh, gravity he has of like you you can't ignore Trey Mann as a shooter and that's why early on in his career whenever you saw him play with with Shea and the Thunder had him lined up with the coach's stripe over there and you know it created so much space for Shea to operate that was the tantalizing part of Trey Mann so you've got to think about this through the lens of you just watched five six seven minutes of the Thunder having absolutely zero spacing you look up and down your bench and go yeah Trey Mann he can provide space he can provide space now, you can argue that Isaiah Joe uh, you know, should have gotten more minutes than 13 minutes. I, w- I would agree that he should have played more than 13 minutes in, in, in you know, the grand scheme of things. But it's not as though Isaiah Joe has been blitzing the Nets in recent games. Uh, and he went one for five today, one for four from three in this game, and he was smothered for a lot of those. So like the, the, you know, the, the, the shooting percentages uh, can at times be a little bit flawed. But still, you know, sure, whatever. Isaiah Joe, play him more minutes if you want to. But Trey Mann earned the right to those minutes. He played the same amount of minutes as Cason Wallace. Uh, Jay Will played 11 minutes as, as the backup peg. And then Wiggins and, and Garrett Williams played 15 minutes and, and, and 14 minutes. They, they played Wiggins more, which is what we've all wanted. Uh, you know, he usually had been playing around like 11 to 12. He played 15. And then Kinnerch was really good in his minutes as well. Uh, and then the other complaint was, you know, Chet not playing at the end of the game uh, and taking SGA out. You know, the, the odds of... Let's talk about SGA first real quick. The odds of SGA and the Thunder coming back from down 10 whenever they removed him from the game were very slim. And we don't know what all goes into that of like, did SGA want out? I would doubt it. 
did SGA maybe maybe just do a, have a minor little tweak of something, and it wasn't worth uh, putting him onto the onto the game in a in a way where the Thunder don't really have a chance to come back, possibly. But we haven't heard that, so I don't know. Uh, but the one thing that I think it wasn't, which is the one thing that Chris Fisher said, was that he had four fouls. If the four fouls played a part at all in, in, in pulling SGA, which I I am like 99% sure it didn't because it was just the way that Marks talked about his philosophy with fouls. That part would have been crazy because like it was two minutes left and if he fouls out in two minutes, oh well. Uh, but that that couldn't have possibly been it because of how Mark talks about fouls. I think there's you know a minute and 50 seconds left and the Thunder were down 10 and it was just like, well, he's played 36 minutes. It's over uh, on that last timeout. But uh, as for not playing Chet, you know, in, in the fourth quarter, hardly at all. That part is the most interesting of all the rotational things. Was that a message to Chet? Was was that a message of like, hey, you know, he played he played rather poorly. Of course, that's not the standard here. The 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 lack of maybe effort or whatever from the whole team. You know, Mark's talked about before of like. He took the guys out. What was that game uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, whenever he took the guys out and just said, you know, they weren't playing with enough effort. So he benched them. Was this another case of that? Who knows? Like Chet not playing in the fourth quarter. You know, I, of course, I would have played him in the fourth quarter. So I would agree there. Like in general, I think that Mark's rotations get vastly overblown and people just rely almost exclusively on buzzwords. They're talking about coaches and like talking about the Thunder of like the Thunder are experimenting. It's like, well, not really. Like, they're not really experimenting. The Thunder lack spacing. They tried Trey Mann. Like that, that's not that's not necessarily an experiment of like, oh, the Thunder are prioritizing development over winning. It's like they weren't trying to develop Trey Mann tonight. They're they were trying to get spacing. And Trey Mann, to his credit, stayed ready and played really, really well. And that and that cannot, you know, it cannot be undersold how hard that is to to, to stay ready, especially when you get called upon on first on first quarter minutes, which I know like the job of these players is to be ready. You couldn't have possibly predicted that Trey would have first quarter minutes heading into this game. So he really had to stay ready and he was to his credit. So I think that, I think that at the end of the day, every single loss that happens for the Thunder gets overblown with like, are they tanking again? Are they tanking again? Like, it's like a scorn lover, right? Are, are, are they tanking again? No, like they're, they have not at all this year prioritized development over winning. You can argue the only time they've ever done that is with Josh Giddy of like, of like starting him. However, when you actually take off the, the anger glasses that you're seeing this lens through Josh Giddy hasn't played 30 minutes in a month in a single game. And in fact, the last couple of games, he's played like 15 minutes. Like he's not playing. They're not playing him. They're playing him. Kenrich Williams level minutes. He's a sixth overall pick. What more would you want? They're not going to DNP CD him. They're just not. So like that is living in a fantasy land. So I don't understand the whole gripes with like Mark's rotation and like Mark's Mark's not a serious coach. Mark's not Mark's trying to, I don't understand that part of things from the fan base. And every time I ask a fan, and so I'll ask you to, to leave in the YouTube comment section, or if you're listening and you haven't, I haven't personally asked you, you can feel free to at me on Twitter at rather underscore styles. I would love to ask a fan, give me the example of like the thunder prioritizing tanking developmental minutes and experiments over trying to win. Because a lot of people looked at that Minnesota game and say it was Usman Jang. Usman Jang played 63 seconds in Minnesota. That was not experimenting. That was not trying to, to, to tank or whatever. And then tonight we just went through the rotations tonight. It's like, I, 
that is like the biggest buzzword crutch that people use after every single loss for the Thunder. And it's just rather tiresome, in my opinion. It's, it's rather tiresome. Uh, Dort was minus 27 in 15 minutes. Uh, Chet and Dub only scored 17 combined tonight on two for 22 uh, shooting. They've all got to be better from Thunder DNA. Yes, they all have to be better. Uh, Lou Dort, again, this is going to be a launching point for Lou Dort. Lou Dort has not played well recently. And I think I think this is a bit different for me than Josh Giddy not playing well. Josh Giddy not playing well is just like, it is bad from top to bottom. It is bad from wall to wall. Like there, there is there is no bright spot with Josh Kitty. His passing has regressed. His rebounding has regressed you know, a little bit. And then his, we, we know about his scoring woes and his defensive woes. With Lou Dort, it doesn't feel as dire necessarily that he's playing so poorly the last you know week or so, uh, you know, last X amount of games, two, three weeks, whatever it's been. Because it feels more so like the shots just aren't going in. There's been a few mistakes from Ludor, obviously. I'm not saying Ludor's played perfectly, but it feels more, especially more than Josh Giddy's aspect of it, of like the shots just not going in for Ludor. And like eventually, the, surely the goodness, eventually that has to come back around. And then for Chet and JW, yeah, like, like the, the bottom line is this is an 82 game season. And while losing to the Rockets gets this fan base hot and bothered because of what the Rockets fan base means to them. Every player is entitled to a couple clunkers in an 82-game season. Realistically, you're going to have 10 nights each where, like, there's going to be 10 nights where everything is on fire. You know, five to 10 nights where everything's on fire, you can't miss, and you are never going to lose that game, no matter if you played the the, the Warriors of the KD area or if you were playing, um, you know, the Rockets of last year. Like, you were never going to lose. There's also going to be five to 10 nights where you could have been playing the Washington Generals and you weren't going to win. This was this was one of those bad nights where like just you know who would have guessed at you know at, at 9 a.m. Uh, Wednesday morning that Jada and Chet would go seven for 22 and score 17 points like who would have guessed that and you're not going to win games like that whenever those two guys aren't on and everyone like knew that so we'll continue to react to your uh, takeaways from this game uh, there's a lot of rotational stuff which we've already talked about. Uh, I will say this too from Jacob's burner. Uh, ship Josh Kitty and Lou Dort for Laurie Markkinen. We talked about Laurie Markkinen and fake trades earlier this week, so go back and listen to that if you haven't already for like my full thoughts on Laurie Markkinen. Can we stop with the whole like, if you think Lou Dort and Josh Kitty are bad players, why would they be traded for an all star player? Like that, that is just the funniest thing to me about, uh, about some like meme, like some mean meme template of like on social media. Like, Okay, you just said that these guys are bad, but yet they're good enough to be traded for an all-star. It's, it's, a, it's a tough sell. It's a tough sell. We'll talk more about this game, including uh, your reactions coming up. But first, I want to hear you right now, but good friends over at PrizePix. Go to prizepix.com slash NBA to get started today. And what's great about PrizePix is, number one, uh, they are right here in Oklahoma. You can utilize PrizePix in Oklahoma. And number two, it's just you versus the projected numbers. So you pick two to six players and you project, will they have more? or less than their prize pick projection. So, for example, you can go tonight for the in-season tournament games and you can project, will LeBron James have more or less than his point total projection? And will Zion Williamson have more or less than his you know, point projection? Will Terry's Halliburton have more or less than his assist projection? And then there you go. 
if you sit back and watch the game, if it comes through, let's say the line is, you know, Terry's Halliburton, nine and a half assists. If you say more and he has 10, boom, you're able to, you're able to cash in there with prize picks. So go there right now, because what's great about prize picks and, and, and as an NBA fan, especially is their reboot policy. So we know in the NBA, well, night tonight, a lot of stars, a lot of players who you'd want to uh, project their stat lines of, a lot of them are questionable night to night. And like, ah, it's the second night of a back-to-back. Oh, it's the, it's the fourth game in three nights or whatever it is. Whenever they, third game in four nights, whenever they are questionable or anything like that, if they don't play, but you've already put the projection in, if they don't play, you get rebooted and you're totally fine. So like you are protected from the random pop-up oh no, right before tip-off, so-and-so is out tonight. So that's a really cool feature that PrizePix does for their community. So make sure you go support them and check them out at prizepix.com slash lockdown or use code LOCKEDONNBA for your app on PrizePix or LOCKEDONNBA on the website for the first deposit match up to $100. That's code LOCKEDONNBA, code LOCKEDONNBA for the first deposit match up to $100. We're back on the Lockdown Thunder Podcast, on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you so much for making us your first listen every single morning, every single day. We're here for you, talking Thunder basketball. Folks, a lot of you have talked about Josh Giddy. I appreciate you using your voice to, uh, to sound off on the takeaways. Obviously, we're not going to rehash that whole conversation, but I do want to acknowledge that a lot of you did send in about Josh Giddy. It's just that I'm not going to read those takeaways because we've already done it, but I do still appreciate uh, going through. I have read all of them, so uh, you're acknowledged in this way. But we're going to continue on talking about uh, your takeaways. The kid says that the Thunder need a big man who can bang down low, move Jada to the three, and Chet to power forward. They're they're just not going to do that. I mean, Vucevic is terrible. It's like, don't let's not include him in this, which is who we added. He had Vucevic first, Mitchell Robinson, and Siakam. Vucevic is terrible. Uh, Robinson w- would be a nice pickup. Siakam, uh, I don't think that him and Chet w- would necessarily play- pair great together. Uh, and 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 Chet's just not going to play power forward. Chet, like Chet, is viewed as a center, uh, and I think that that doesn't change based on this game where he he played fine um, overall defensively. And the Thunder like have seen their vision work. Now, uh, that's not to say that like they they can't add one of those type of guys, uh, you know, in terms of like a bigger body. You know, adding a bigger body as a bench player and a player who can throw a curveball and like, and a player who can who can allow you to have that flexibility off the bench. You know, that that is that is certainly uh, warranted. You know, if you want to build your team that way, but they're not going to completely change and uproot the identity of this team um, and move Chet to power forward in the starting lineup and like play that that way for a bulk of their minutes. Um, Mister Tweets says bad loss in general. Uh, not pinning this game specifically on Giddy. With that said, he's bad. Uh, we use the, you know, we are, you know, who you are as a team at the 20 game mark. We know who Josh Giddy is at this uh, benchmark. Teams run a box and one when he's in, and he's a turnstile on defense. Yeah, I mean, he's not been good. <laughs> I, 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 I thought there's more to that, but yeah, he's he's not been good. Obviously, and and moving him to the bench uh, might be able to help. Uh, Dengue says every NBA season, you'll watch your favorite team lose games. They should win on the flip side, the one games that they should lose. OKC is young and still working things out. Unfortunately, the process uh, to learn these lessons is mistakes and bad stretches for individuals. Well said, perfectly said this center team, like you got to keep it in perspective of like going circling all the way back to the top of the show. 
the truth is oftentimes in the middle. So like this loss feels awful. It feels terrible. It feels um, gut-wrenching, especially of like who you uh, lost to in Houston. But these losses are always going to happen to every NBA team. Like even, even the Nuggets last year had awful losses and they won the NBA finals and won the NBA finals without truly getting pressed, uh, you know, and, and pushed uh, very, very often in the playoffs. So like even they who went wire to wire in the postseason had some bad losses and had a bad month, you know, that, that, that monthly in the playoffs was not incredibly great for them uh, by their standards. So like this is going to happen and the Thunder are still a very young team and they're not going to win a title this year. And, and, and you knew that you, you knew they weren't going to win the championship this year in August in September, in October, in November, and December 1. You you knew this whole time that this was not by any means a title window or a make-or-break season or a year where they're going to go win the championship. Like th- That's not where this team is at. This team is still very much in the learn the lesson of, hey, you've got you've to be ready to play every single night in the NBA. And you've got to catch up to date on who you're playing right? Like these teams are different than they were a year ago. This was not the game. This was not the same Houston team to waltz into the Toyota center and not give a crap and not, and not play hard. Like this was a team that is incredibly good on the road and I'm I'm sorry, incredibly good at home and uh, are able to, uh, you know, have players who can, who can take advantage and beat you. Shangun's playing great. Dylan Brooks had a nice game as well. Jabari Smith had a really good game as well. Um, Jalen Green had a good game. Van Vliet uh, was you know, better than his, than his box score shot. I think Van Vliet was like kind of more sturdy. And then Aaron Holiday off the bench was just thunder killer Aaron Holiday in this game off the bench. But still, um, the Thunder are going to have games like this. They're going to have games where they just don't have it that night. And this was one of them. It was a bad time for one of them because you come off that high of the Mavericks game, you're playing uh, the Rockets, but they had one. And like the the rebuild doesn't change. The point and the timeline doesn't change. Um, the, the feelings of this team doesn't change. There's just some... After 20 games, there's some serious, uh, you know, things to work out and some serious uh, conversations to be had around this roster as a whole. But it's also not as dire as it's being made out to on Twitter. Like you know, the the Thunder right now, through 20 games, are the second seed in the West. They're the second seed in the West through 20 games. If I told you on October 20th that through 20 games the Thunder would be a top three seed in the West. You would have signed the dotted line 10 times out of 10. You have never rolled the dice. You have never questioned it. You would have been over the moon, overjoyed. And so at times you've got to take a step back and look at that of how significant this season has already been to this point. And they'll have a chance to, to uh, get back on track Friday against the Warriors, which we're going to preview that game on tomorrow's show. But until then, be good and be good to 1-0.